What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Open Run, your one-stop shop for all things pertaining to hoop-related matters here at War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and I'm joined by my running mate, as always, and fellow co-host, and Josh Hicks, to talk on all of the major matters and storylines that have taken shape across the basketball universe at the top of another week. How are you feeling? after experiencing all the twists and turns that have come to define March Madness thus far. A lot of upsets, a lot of stunners. <laughs> Brackets busted. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't do a bracket. That's all, because I would have got smashed. Like, it was, <laughs> it would have it been real bad for me. But it was exciting, bro. Exciting week of basketball so far. March Madness definitely did not disappoint, as obviously we'll allude to throughout the show. Outside of that, man, I am good to go. And I'm excited to see what the rest of this basketball world has to offer within this uh, within this next week. Oh, for sure. And I find it funny. You say you glad you didn't fill out a bracket. Now you understand why when we had our special guest, Steve Parham, why I was real reserved about sharing my final four picks, even though three out of four of them are still in the tournament. Right. This is one of those tournaments where just looking at the bracket on Selection Sunday, you could tell that two teams that we had discussed momentarily had the toughest roads when it came to get to the final four. But if you had told me that both of those teams would be out by the end of weekend one, I would have laughed at you. Cause I just knew even in spite of the tough matchups that they had on paper, that they would at least find a way into the round of 32, if not 16. So that was, that was a, a stone cold shocker right there. You really can't fill out brackets right now in a, time and day where these number one seeds just not playing like number one seeds that we came up on but in this week's installment of open run me and josh will take out some time to discuss our key takeaways from the first couple of rounds of this year's ncaa tournament as the sweet 16 is officially on the horizon in addition to a trio of eastern conference squads vying for the top seed in the upcoming nba playoffs and an all-star who recently sat down for an exclusive interview with Jalen Rose and is slated to return to action very soon within the near future. However, before we get into all of that, let's take some time to show some love and appreciation for a couple of Hallmark accomplishments that took place over the last week in our Hoop Shoutout segment. Special Hoop Shoutout go out to Hall of Fame head coach and Miami Heat president Pat Riley, who turned 78 at the top of the week as well as Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors for becoming just one of only six players in NBA history to ever record a 50-plus point game at the age of 35 or older after going for a 50-ball against the Clippers out in Los Angeles. And last but not least, Philadelphia 76ers all-star center Joel Embiid, who after recording 30-plus points in nine straight outings and counting, has officially surpassed Allen Iverson and the late great Will Chamberlain atop of the franchise's all-time leaderboard for consecutive games with at least 30 or more. So with another week of hoops officially in the books, Josh, and more to come, as you alluded to earlier in the intro, and what shall be an exciting slate of Sweet 16 games as well as marquee NBA matchups, what are some of the top storylines across basketball that have caught your eye primarily within the last several days that you believe warrants further discussion? 
I know we're going to talk about the March Madness side of things. I'm not going to highlight on that. Okay. But one thing that I know for sure that caught my eye, Austin Reeves. <laughs> Austin Reeves. I know we, you know me as, as someone that has been on the show that has witnessed and called the, the segment of white men hand jump. Well, white men can ball. And that's one for Austin Reeves. Um, his, his, his most recent game, dropping 35 on them. And yeah, I you saw know, that. Led the Lakers to the win. But even since he's even since the addition of LeBron James for the most part, especially throughout the season, he's had a he's had a career year this year. And because of his career year, now this report's talking about he's about to add four years, 50 mil. I don't that's gonna be interesting if you're gonna get that 50 mil. But I what I will say is that he is making a case. He is slowly but surely making a case. And it and it's really stood out ever since uh the trade deadline. His role has increased. Um, the flow of the Lakers uh, offense is just that much smoother now uh, without Russell Westbrook and other players being there. And they're winning games. And because of that, that's all you need. That's, uh, that's good. Um, that's good. That's good uh, stock to have to amp up your value in the league. And the fact that Austin Reeves is doing it at this level right now, I got to get, I got to tip my hat, hat off to him, man. He's definitely making uh, more of a name for himself. He getting MVP chance. <laughs> he's getting MVP chances and you know and, and I know that that's probably a surreal moment for him and you got the King James to uh you know to vouch for you as well he's gonna get that four-year 50 mil most likely and you know you could say that at this year it's pretty much well deserving for him so that's my guy for this week man that's my shout out shout out to Austin Reeves for um proving all narratives wrong when it comes to white men and basketball um <laughs> <laughs> and giving them hope in a lot of ways moving forward um, to not only live up to the live up, live up to the hype per se, but securing the bag as well. Yeah, Austin Reeves, man, he's proven that he's more than just a spot up shooter. Mm-hmm. He is making plays with the rock in his hand, facilitating, setting up guys out to pick and roll. LeBron being out of commission might have been the greatest thing in regards to helping him cash his check at the bank this summer. Yeah. And I'm a believer in Austin Reeves getting that four-year $50 million deal. Because when, no disrespect, but you look at some other guys in the NBA, not trying to count guys' money, but it's a lot of guys on some unreasonable contracts. Yeah. You get Austin Reeves four for 50, that might be a bargain long-term. Because he's looking like a guy who is not only just a quality role player, but on any given night, he could go to work and get you some buckets too. Yeah. And he put that up against an Orlando Magic squad that, while young, they could get after it defensively when they lock in. So I, I give him credit. But one guy that has caught my eye is a guy in San Antonio. And I'm going to read off his numbers real quick over the last four games. 23 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. 25 points, six rebounds, five assists. 24 points, eight rebounds, four assists. 19 points, eight rebounds, and three assists. Those are the numbers from Spurs center Zach Collins 
over his last four games. Here was a player who a lot of people forgot about, former lottery pick, who was drafted by Portland, had some injury-ridden seasons after coming out as a one-and-done prospect, All-American, might I add, at Gonzaga. Now, in pop system, he's finally appearing as though he's putting together some strings of consistency, mm-hmm. shooting the ball with a ton of confidence, making plays out of dribble handoffs, setting guys up on backdoor cuts, and, oh, by the way, being a serviceable defender as well. And when I look at San Antonio, even though they have one of the worst records in all of basketball, and this is a team that many people believe will get a top three pick, if they were to get the number one overall pick and you get Victor Wimbenyama in the mix and you put him at the four next to Zach Collins at the five with the way that he's playing right now, and you got Sohan and Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell, you got something cooking. And Zach Collins is looking like a piece that, while he was acquired on the cheap, may very well be a long-term fit down in the Alamo and has really been putting together a nice stretch over his last five albums where he's averaging over 20 and getting nearly 10 rebounds a game and shooting the ball very well. If he could just stay out of foul trouble, the sky's the limit for him. And he he's really proven himself in the minutes that he's been able to get, especially in the wake of the Jacopoto trade to Toronto. So he's looking like the starting five of the future down in San Antonio. And then last but not least, another lottery pick, former number one overall pick, who is having a career year out in Orlando, the same team that Austin Reeves put a 35 piece on. And that's Markel Folks. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that Markel Folks, no disrespect, would find his rhythm faster than Ben Simmons coming back from injury? You know, and, and, and God speed to Ben Simmons. We don't know what he's dealing with. He hasn't played in a while since the All-Star break, if I'm not mistaken. But Markel Folks, man, is doing a hell of a job finding a way to get downhill. You know, for so many years, it's a lot of people who was under the assumption that Orlando needed a point guard, even with folks on the roster because folks, it's his injury history. And, and it, and his question, it was a lot of questions about that. Could he stay healthy? Could he shoot? Well, he's finding a way to get it done. And he's been the facilitator and the playmaker that they need besides Paulo Boncaro and Franz Wagner and those guys and Mo Wagner. I really like the way that he's played. He's He had back-to-back games this past week with 25-plus points or more, shooting officially from the field. He's doing it all. And I think we have to show love to those two guys because it's not easy when you're a lottery pick and you have all these expectations placed upon you and you don't live up to it to find a second life elsewhere in the league. And when you do, sometimes it could be your last chance. And I think these guys have made the most out of what could have very well been their last chances to prove whether or not they still could stick around in the league or not. But I, I believe, based off what I've seen over the last couple of weeks to a month, that these two guys are going to be here to stay. And while they may not be stars, they could be stars in their role as they're proving now.
No, that's a very good point, uh, especially when we talk about how the change of scenery sometimes is the best thing for people to thrive. Absolutely. Um, you know, Markel Fultz had a, had a, let's be honest, he had it rough in Philadelphia. Um, he just couldn't adapt to the, uh, the expectations of what was expected of him, but the new scenery changed his life. And now he's back to the Markel Fultz and not fully the Markel Fultz that we saw coming out of college, but a pretty nice portion of what that looks like. Um, and Zach Collins is the same way. I mean, coming from Portland, you know, you're playing with Damian Lillard, top 10, top five point guard in the league. There's expectations that come with that, that, you know, over time, he just couldn't fulfill, even though at that time throughout his tenure, Portland has some nice, has some nice runs and opportunities to, to, you know, to do good things. And, you know, they came up short, but Zach Collins having that new start, maybe what was best for him as well. Cause now you're seeing a demographic of Zach that we really never saw in Portland, especially with him coming off the bench, you know, that's, that variety to his skill set and game was never really needed in, in Portland to compare it to where he is right now in San Antonio. So those are, you know, it's never it's been in, in the league and NBA, you know, we always say, uh, especially for new guys coming to the league, you're not just playing for the team that got you. You're playing for 32. And since you got 32 teams in the league, somebody's going to want your talent. And the fact that they found homes to, ex- to expand their skill sets in situations that help for them to thrive within the, within the new current homes, hey, that's special for them. And that's sometimes all a player needs. So I'm I'm happy for them. I have, I'm glad that they're doing their thing. Oh, for sure. And you talk about change of scenery and how that's important. I mean, look at James Wiseman in Detroit right now. Look yeah. at the way he's been playing since he's been getting more touches on the low post. And with Isaiah Stewart out of commission due to injury and – so forth, he's going to get even more touches. And I think that's great for his growth and development. As nice as it was to be in Golden State, he was never going to get the amount of touches that he's been able to get in Detroit as of late because of the personnel that was on the floor with him, mm-hmm. such as Stephen Curry, a Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, or Jordan Poole from time to time. He was never going to get that. Now he has a, a second breath of fresh air in Detroit where he has unlimited range to play through his mistakes and to continue to grow as a player. And a lot of times it's important for fans of the game and spectators of the game to understand that if you're not in the right situation or in a perfect environment where your game fits that environment, nine times out of 10 is not going to work. And some guys are just guys that need a change of scenery. We've seen that with other guys, such as Laurie Marketing, a guy Mm -hmm. who was relegated to playing strictly in a corner as a spot-up shooter under Jim Boylan with the Chicago Bulls, who went to Cleveland, didn't work out. Cleveland traded him to Utah. And now you see him flourishing because they putting him in positions where he can utilize his athleticism and run the floor and get buckets. They put the ball in his hand where he could operate and get downhill. Things that he showed he was able to do during his rookie year under Fred Hoiberg when Fred Hoiberg allowed him to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it just goes to show what you said. Like, sometimes the chain of scenery is what guys need in order to be successful and to keep their careers everlasting as much as they possibly can in this NBA. You ain't lying, my brother. You ain't lying. I, I wish we had a change of scenery from dealing with all this bad weather and this cold. <laughs> I, I, yeah, love to go to I love to go to a different city and thrive over there for a little bit before coming back home. 
<laughs> I heard you on that one. But I want to move into this March Madness discussion, man. You had two number one seeds, Kansas and Purdue, mm-hmm. fail to make it past opening weekend alongside of several high-profile contenders. You had Princeton upset Arizona yeah. and Mizzou to advance to the Sweet 16. I don't know what it is about number 15 seeds from the state of New Jersey, but I guess it's a good thing to be one because this is back-to-back years where the state of New Jersey has a 15th seed in the Sweet 16. First it was St. Peter's, now it's the Ivy League school in Princeton. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I find so fascinating about it all, Josh, is that of the 16 teams currently alive, 12 teams have never won it all. And that's Alabama, Houston, Texas, Xavier, Kansas State, Gonzaga, Tennessee, Miami, San Diego State, Creighton, Florida Atlantic, and Princeton, with seven teams in that bunch having never reached the Final Four among that group. And just and for the and for just the second time since 1980, excuse me, the Sweet 16 will not feature at least one of the four main blue blood programs in Duke, Kansas, Kentucky in North Carolina, three of which were in last year's Final Four out in the Big Easy in New Orleans. And although we did predict alongside our special guest Steve Parham last week that Purdue and Kansas will have the toughest roads among number one seeds in their march towards getting to the Final Four in the East and West regions respectively last week, what do you make of both top seeds getting the boot during the opening weekend of the tournament? And do you believe that the true upset, as we know it, has become a thing of the past in an era where these top seeds have not been as strong as those of recent memory? Ooh, that's loaded. So let's break this down, right? So I think we're in an era where even though there's still power schools, the power is diversified. It's not the same type of power that we used to seeing. And a lot of it really is because of the fact that these low, these, these non-power six schools are not afraid of the top dogs anymore. You can see it in their play. And I also think at the same time, too, these power six schools have gone through so much transition during this past year or so that the coaching that you're going to get, even though it's still top tier, it ain't like the ledges that was running the teams before. So you go into the, you, you had a March Madness this year with no Coach K. You had a, you had no Roy Williams. That's true. You have, uh, I, I know you mentioned the school before, you have a John Calipari and you have Bill Self. But Bill he Self. He wasn't even active. But yeah, but he wasn't even active, right? Due to health reasons. Right. And even with John Calipari, let's be very serious. Calipari has a disease with March Madness because he doesn't go very far often. So, yeah. So when you think about all these top schools, it's not this it's never going to be the same because the legends are gone. And because the legends are gone, it's like these schools are going to be rebuilding in a lot of ways because it's going to take time, even though they may get the top talent. They have to reprove themselves in a lot of ways because of the fact that this new ch- these new chapters are taking place. There's no reason why 
Hubert Davis from North Carolina was in the championship round a year ago. Comes up empty this year and they have the same team. That 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 doesn't make sense, right? Um, you know, this this is the first real new new challenge for John Shire. And they didn't make it. They make it far. Um, we already talked about Bill Self. Outside of him and Izzo, they're the only coaches from a powerhouse perspective that hold the most relevancy combined with the experience of what it takes to win in March Madness. Everyone else is still fresh. They're new. So it's going to take time for them to really develop and grow into what it really means to win in March Madness. They might have seen it. They might have experienced it from an assistant coach perspective, but it's nothing like it from a head coach perspective completely different levels and this year i think we just saw what that looks like because it's not like they lost the talent they they still, they still get in top recruits every year it's just that because the coaching is so different the culture is still is so different it's going to take time to develop in a way that the legends before have developed the, the programs in, in their own fashions and these under power six schools, under power six conferences, with the schools that are that are losing to these mid-majors, they realize that, they sense that, they smell that, and they're not fearful of it, which is why you have teams coming after the big dogs like they did this, this go around. And when you talk about the next component of your question, um, with number one seeds being knocked out so early and everything, I think some of it is, like you said, they're not some of them are not real number one seeds, but I also think, depending on the team, their makeup was for the regular season and not for the championships. They were their rosters were made for winning through their conference championships. Purdue was set up really to win through the Big Ten. That was pretty much what it was set up for. But we talked about in the last show, they were gonna struggle. They have a hard, they had a hard route, but they were already going to struggle because of their offensive setup. And because of that, and you saw they got exploited in that first game pretty badly. So yeah. I think um is so, so I think some of it, I think, and I just think Kansas just lost, honestly. I think they just, just lost it. It was just a good game, but tough nails back and forth. It just couldn't get it done. I'm you glad know? you said that because I was about to get into that myself. Yeah, Devo Davis and Ricky Council towards the end were just making some incredible shots late in the game. Jordan Walsh stepped up, was huge defensively. Yeah. And hit a big time three that helped ignite the, the Razorbacks in a in a major way. Yeah. So, so because of that, you're still going to have some of those. But I do think depending on the team, a lot of these teams were set up for winning their respective conferences, but they weren't set up for winning March Madness, the big tournament. And that is, and that's a whole different level of not just coaching, but recruiting as well, knowing the makeup of what that looks like moving forward. And I think that played a role this year pretty heavily. And, you know, you bring up recruiting, this transfer portal. Yeah. You either going to get in where you fit in or you going to get lost. But what I make of it is in Purdue's case, they just didn't have guys that can move them puppies. They were playing against a team that was faster than them. Mm-hmm. And when they spread it them out, they didn't know they couldn't keep up in a one-on-one game. 
And when your guards can't create off the dribble enough separation or space to get a shot off, that's a problem. And they and like I I was listening to a lot of commentary after the game. You had some people saying, "Well, why not get it to your seven foot four big man, your national player of the year, Zach Eady?" It's hard to do that when you up or, or excuse me when you're down ten or twelve points in a game. You can't play that way mm-hmm. because time isn't on your side. It's easy to play like that when you up, but I felt like Rutgers gave the blueprint to teams across the country as to how you beat Purdue. You trap their guards mm-hmm. and you force them to either break the press or make plays. And you live with it. Yeah. The, the result of that. If they make plays, you just got beat. But but nine times out of ten, they've proven to be ineffective at doing that. They got flat out beat. No ifs, ands, buts, or maybes about it. I'm pretty sure Matt Painter would tell his guys the same thing is he's one of the best coaches in the country. It's for Kansas, yeah, no Bill Self. I think that played a factor. A, 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 a experienced coach who has, as you alluded to, been there and done that. And you don't have too many coaches in this year's tournament, as you alluded to in your points as well, that have these experiences in March Madness. It's a changing of the guard in college basketball right now. And while Calipari has gone on deep runs in March Madness, he did it with an illustrious starting five year Mm -hmm. after year where he was churning out top five recruiting classes left and right, usually top two, I would say. Yeah. Now, that's not the case anymore. The talent pool is more diversified, is spread out. And when you have guys who are staying on campus no more than a semester, going up against schools such as Princeton, who have three-year starters, four-year starters, guys who have played all summer long, practiced all winter long, been in the trenches in a fire with one another, left and right. Yeah, it's easy to see how that team can knock off a blue blood program. It's very easy. And outside of self and Calipari and Izzo and Scott Drew from Baylor, mm-hmm. I don't think that there was any other coach in the tournament that had experience when it came to winning a national championship. It's been a few that's got to some final fours, but when it comes to winning, they haven't had that. And as we said, Bill Self wasn't there. Norm Roberts was coaching in this place. So that's a different voice, albeit a great voice and a well-respected voice I'm pretty sure of in in Kansas' locker room, but it's not Bill. I don't think that that's why they lost the game, though, as you said. I think they played well. They just ran up against an Arkansas team that has found a way to start clicking at the right time. And I want to add, for those who don't know, was a team that many people believed would be in the top 10, if not top five, all season long due to the lottery prospects that they have, such as Anthony Black, who's a terrific two-way point guard. Nick Smith Jr., who -hmm. can fill it up with the best of them when healthy, but he's been in and out of the lineup due to health issues. 
State and Jordan Walsh, you know, a solid defensive wing player. They, they have talent. Eric Musselman has talent, and he's been to tournaments left and right. Like, he did this in Nevada mm-hmm. with a team in the Mountain West Conference with the Martin Twins. What made you think he wasn't going to do that when he went to the SEC with the tools and resources that he has at his disposal even more there? So I, I respect the Power Five programs, but I, I, I'm, I can't say that I'm shocked by upsets anymore. I do think that true upsets have become a thing of the past because you have to go into tournaments now expecting it. Mm. And some of your best programs are non-Power 5 schools at this current moment. Houston yeah. will become a Power 5 school at the end of this season and join the Big 12, but as of right now, they lie in the American. So it, it just goes to show you, you just can't base everything off of past traditions. It's a changing of the guard, and we're in a new era of college basketball where unless if things are going to go back to like they used to, where you're going to see a ton of guys just staying three, four years, which we know it won't happen. You, This is going to be part of the new normal. No, you're, you're exactly right, man. And because of that, it's amazing how that's still a plus for March Madness, period. Because even when you expect it, people – are still amazed at the fact that these certain programs are are still creating the upsets we still never thought would happen. Princeton's a prime example. I mean, no one thought Princeton would go this far and beating the team that they did. And for some, and hey, they're the Cinderella team right now. Um, Florida Atlantic. No one thought Florida Atlantic was going to make it this think this far, but yet they are killing it. So. Yeah, it, it it just shows the beauty of March, March Madness. I don't think we'll ever live up to what it was before because of the fact that those powerhouse um, schools that had the powerhouse legendary coaches that actually built those programs for 30, 40 years. Yeah. No, that's, that's not going to be around anymore. It's going to take some time to really build that. But it does open the door for new coaches to eventually make their own range from a mid-major perspective that could actually take them to the next level that may, that may end up becoming one of those power five coaches and, you know, changing our dynamic of games because they're getting the experience of what it means to be an underdog and they can use that for when they now become a, a more experienced team down the line. Um, and that's something special that, you know, I would like to pay attention to and see how that really plans out because, when they see you winning like the way you can win in a March Madness realm from a mid-major perspective, that opens up the door for bigger opportunities. And, you know, we've seen that over the years, some, sometimes it's good, but sometimes it just hasn't panned out well. And for, and for some of these coaching staffs and these coaches, it's a great thing for them. Shaka Smart's a prime example of that. Um, and uh, the, guy, the head coach that used to be at uh, St. Peter's was now, who's now the head coach of Seton Hall. Shaheen Holloway. Holloway. McDonald All-American point guard out of yep. Jersey. Yeah. So it, those are good storylines to, to pay attention to and to follow up, especially after this year, because there's so many upsets taking place. But it's not going to be the same like we originally grew up on. No, I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I don't think it will be the same, but I do think that it's a boost for mid-major programs. Mm-hmm. It sure as hell helps with enrollment. 
it yep. sure as hell helps boost interest in your program in Google searches, which leads to more revenue. Just think about the run that St. Peter's went on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that university would be glad to thank Shaheen Holloway even after he left for what he did for them. Because mm-hmm. he put it in a national spotlight. And even though it may last for a couple of weeks, it has a long-term effect on the university at large. Mm-hmm. We know that firsthand just being here, witnessing what Loyola Chicago did in 2018, yeah. getting to the Final Four. And one of the guys that was part of that program and Dante Ingram, his father is literally like my next door neighbor. So just seeing him during that time when he hit the game winning shot against Miami in, in round one and being able to talk with him on it, that was a very unique time, not just for the city, but just for the country. Sister Jean merchandise. Like yeah. it, it helps. It yeah. helps. <laughs> and, and, and if not for that run, who's to say that? Loyola would be a part of the Atlantic 10 now because when they were on that run, they had just made their way into the Missouri Valley from the horizon league. And when you look at how far Loyola has gone as a program over the last several years, even though Porter Moser is no longer there and drew Valentine is the head man there. And they still got some work to do to get it back up to that point. You know, that, that, that benefits you. Mm-hmm. That benefits you a ton as a mid-major. So it, it's cool for the mid-major programs. And some of these programs that we're currently seeing rise up started out as mid-major programs. And now, because of the success of their basketball programs at the mid-major level, have become power players, such as Xavier, Creighton. They weren't always as big as they are now. And those are two schools that you will see representing the Big East and the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I want to move on to some more, you know, March Madness talk just to discuss how things have changed because this year's Sweet 16 is going to feature a pair of first-time Black head coaches from the Big 12 in Kansas State's Jerome Tang and Texas interim coach Rodney Terry, who helped to guide their programs there for the first time since 2018 and 2008, respectively. You also have Sean Miller, who's back in his second stint at Xavier, guiding the Musketeers to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2017. And as we talked about in a tournament that's usually dominated by veteran teams and led by veteran coaches of old who have been on the March Madness stage countless times, do you think that this could be the first season since 1989 where a first-year head coach guides a team to a national title? It's only been done once, and that was Steve Fisher when he did it in Michigan, and he was under the interim tag at the time, thanks to Glenn Rice, who knocked off the flying Illini on the way to defeating Seton Hall in the national championship game, led by P.J. Carlismo as their head coach at the time. Um, when I look at the when I look at the brackets, and you see the roads for those coaches to get to the Final Four. I think it's possible. I mean, anything's possible. But is it likely? I don't know. And the reason why is because when you talk about the first-year head coaches, Kansas State, right? I love I love what Kansas State is doing. I don't know that. I forgot the little point guard name, but that little dude can ball. 
Marquise Noel. Yeah. Oh, that dude can yeah. ball. He's nice. Yeah, and I, I love how he's been killing it in this tournament. But they are going against an experienced Michigan State team with the legend himself, Tom Izzo, running the show. Yes, I saw your tweet. You can never count out on Tom Izzo in March Madness. No, you can't. You can't. So, I forgot about him. I'm not going to lie. Because I sure as <laughs> hell wasn't expecting him to knock off Marquette. I, I, I expected Marquette to make a deep run. But especially the way they did it. Because Michigan State's a team that loves to shoot threes. And they're not known for force and turnovers. They didn't shoot threes yesterday, but they forced turnovers. And Tyson Walker came up huge. <laughs> Yeah, I was mad as hell with that screen, boy. I was like, come on. I'm sure you were. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I was mad. But anyways, yeah, Michigan State is playing against Kansas State. That's going to be an experienced team with experienced coaching going against the first year for both of them, not just players, but as well as the coaching staff. I cannot count out Tom Izzo and March Madness. And if that showed me anything why I shouldn't, Sundays definitely did. So therefore... I can't count on Kansas State going to pass Michigan State as much as I want them to. I can't count them. I can't count that out. When you think about, you know, the other, the other, um, the other team you, you mentioned, Texas, Texas, they're going against Sean Miller and Xavier. That's a tough matchup. Very tough matchup. That's going to be very tough for them. But to make it even better, let's just say they do get by Xavier. Nine times out of ten, you're either going against Miami or Houston. And either team right now, you don't want to mess with. So I don't think they have a good chance this year. It's po- anything's possible, but I don't think that, I don't think they have a good chance this year because the competition they'll be playing against is not just more experienced, but even the talent level is matched. And it's matched in such a way that I don't know if these teams can overcome. So I can't say we're going to have a first-year head, uh, head coach winning a championship this year. I can't, I can't say that. So you find it more likely that one of the teams that hasn't won it all will more than likely win as opposed to a first-year head coach doing so, even though the three programs – or the coaches of the three programs that we're discussing are in the mix with programs that have never won national championships. Like Texas has never won a national te- championship in basketball. Kansas State has not, and neither has Xavier. Yes, sir. You heard it here first. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I, I, I get it. <laughs> they definitely have tough roads, mm-hmm. especially Xavier versus Texas. That's going to be one hell of an outing. And Rodney Terry has done a hell of a job with that group filling in mm-hmm. for Chris Beard. If you ask me, they should have removed the interim head coaching tag from his name a couple months ago. There's no reason why he shouldn't be the head coach of that program. Jerome Tang, I heard a lot about him prior to moving to Kansas State, being one of Scott Drew's lead assistants mm-hmm. at Baylor. Man, he got them guys playing at a high level. And I've been amazed to watch how he's transformed that program in a matter of a year, courtesy of the transfer portal and bringing in talent left and right. One of the future pieces that he has coming to his program is a guy to Kenwood. 
by the mm-hmm. name of Day Day Ames, left yeah. guard who can shoot. So he it looked like he not done in Manhattan building what he's building. But when I when I look at these first year head coaches, I, I don't I don't know how they do it, but I, I think they have a chance. Like Texas is a team you cannot count out. You can't like they have the talent. In my opinion, they could have easily been a number one seed alongside of UCLA. They could have easily been a number one seed. So even though Houston is a premier school and program, and you know they're going to have every incentive to try and get to Houston out of Kansas City in that Midwest region, it ain't going to be easy starting with a Sweet 16 matchup against Miami and then depending on who they play in, uh, between the winner of Xavier and, and Texas. So I, 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 I like that region, but it's going to be a tough one. But when I when I look at it, I, I that's that's tough. It's tough to win your first year. It's just, it, it's very tough, and, and I can understand why it's only been done one time. But speaking of all these Sweet Sixteen matchups that we broken down and alluded to throughout the show, off and on, and our conversation about March Madness, which one are you looking forward to watching the most? Ooh, there's so many good ones. Yeah. Oh, there's so many good ones. But I think for me, it's going to have to be Houston and Miami. Because Isaiah Wong is a beast. The way he came out and dropped that 27-piece <laughs> uh, last uh, couple nights ago, or yesterday, I want to say, as we are doing this recording, mm-hmm. you know, he can give it to you. How How do you want it? He gives it to you in so many different ways. And I believe Houston has, a, even though they played some good quality talent, they haven't, ha- they never played against a score like him as of yet. So I want to see how, dy- I want to see how that dynamic works compared to Houston, who is very known with, between with Kelvin Sampson to really be a strong defensive team, especially with their length um, and their, and their, and their size amongst the perimeter. I want to see how, uh, Isaiah Wong and, and Poplar and those guys match up with them because Miami's still a tough out. It's not going to be a cakewalk for Houston to come in and and, and, play, and when they play against Miami to get that automatic dub. That's going to be a cakewalk. And I know we talked about Xavier and Texas being a really good one. I'm really looking forward to actually seeing Kansas State and Michigan State ball out. Um, I really like that game. But Isaiah Wong is the guy that caught my eye. This this past weekend when I watched him, this past week when I watched him play, one of those guys, and I want to see how he fares off against a very deep, lengthy Houston Cougars team. Yeah, Nigel Pack did his thing as well. Yeah, making some big time shots and really helped them set the tone early with the way he was able to attack the rim and get to the cup, as well as scoring on the perimeter. I, I like what, what Miami's been able to do. When they get out and run in transition off of the rebound, they one of the more explosive teams to watch in the country. I expected them to beat Indiana. I really mm-hmm. did. Not No disrespect to Indiana, but Trace Jackson Davis was really the only player that I felt was a high-impact player, and I was concerned with how their guards would match up. They got ran out the gym. Yeah, they, they just did. In, in Miami, they was a team that had a lot of quad one wins, should have been a top four seed. But I think because they play in an ACC that wasn't as strong compared to years past, 
they took a hit for it. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, they back in the Sweet 16 for the second year in a row under Jim Laranaga. But that game is going to be interesting because Houston's going to want to keep it in the half court. And it's a, it's a game with two contrasting styles, and neither team is big, but you have Houston being one of the top offensive rebounding teams in the country. But Miami just grabbed 20 offensive boards against Indiana on Sunday. And then you got some stars. Like, you talk about Isaiah Wong, but you got Jamal Shedd, mm-hmm. Jordan Miller, Marcus yeah. Sasser, Jarris Walker, who is one of the best defensive wings you're going to see in all of the country and can make an impact with his face-up game as well as taking you outside scoring. He hasn't even put it all together yet. And when he goes out in the draft this year is more than likely going to be a top 10 or 15 pick who someday will help an NBA team have a top five defense. So this game could go either way. But the one game I think needs to be discussed that we haven't talked about is a matchup between two teams that met in the final four in 2021. Two teams who came down to the wide battling against one another it's a Jalen Suggs hit a three-pointer at the buzzer from yep. just inside a half court to send Gonzaga to the 2021 National Championship game against Baylor. And that's Gonzaga against UCLA. And I expect this game to be no different. I expect this game to go down to the wire. You talk about a Gonzaga team that has one of the best offenses in the country, led by Drew Timmy, mm-hmm. who has Kevin McHale post-up moves. If it was 1985 or probably 1995, you're looking at a guy who could be a top 10, 15 pick in the draft easily with his yeah. skills, but we don't play the game that way no more in the NBA. It's all about pace and space. But in the college game, his skill is still serviceable nonetheless. Meanwhile, you have UCLA standing amongst the top of the top is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Wahime Hakez. You know, you got veterans like Tiger Campbell. Yeah. Amari Bailey. Mm-hmm. From the city of Chicago, even though he started Sierra Canyon, those who know him here know him as the eighth grade phenom. He's coming into his own, knocking down some huge shots late in games, being that complimentary piece to those veteran players. This game is one that could come down to the final possession. And you know Gonzaga is going to have a lot that they want to prove after having a decent regular season, but one that hasn't been up to standards of past. And with Mark Few trying to get that national championship that has been just like running away from him left and right, he's had so many chances. You know that team is going to go hard for him. and It's going to be out in Vegas too. So with UCLA traveling the way that they travel, Gonzaga having a big fan base, that to me is the game to watch because it can go either way. I I believe that the Bruins will win. Mm -hmm. I just trust their veteran experience more. And one thing this Gonzaga team has done a lot is give up a lot of two-pointers, something that they didn't usually do in years past when they were very dominant. They kept that paint protected. But I I think UCLA got just enough firepower to beat them. But to me, that's the the Sweet 16 matchup to watch. Xavier in Texas stands out for sure. You know, can Xavier's defense find a way to rise to the occasion? They've been averaging best all year against a Texas offense that's going to give them a run for their money, that remains to be seen. But it, it's so many matchups, as you said. But to me, Gonzaga-UCLA just stands out. 
I honestly forgot about that game. So since you didn't say it, yeah, uh, that's definitely <laughs> a game that stands out. And you got, I gotta give, you gotta give credit to Amari Bailey, man, for him to be a freshman coming in this year. He's actually played very well, very well in his role the past couple of games in this March Madness tournament that helped put UCLA over the hump. Um, I'm interested to see how he fares up against a Gonzaga team, whom in previous years, you know, obviously a lot of the big names were, you know, big guys coming out of Gonzaga, but they've always had some very good guard play, and I want to see how they. Uh, matchup with uh, with the with the guard play of UCLA behind Campbell Bailey and those guys. That's gonna be very. Um, that's definitely gonna be very interesting to see. For sure, but I want to move into some NBA talk after discussing so much with the March Madness hoopla and all of that. Talking about a team in the Eastern Conference in the city of brotherly love that currently boasts the longest winning streak in the NBA. Currently in action is we recording this podcast, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. They have moved to within a tie for the second seed in the East with Boston. And your and your thoughts and your own thoughts or your own words, man. Is Philadelphia a team that is a legit contender? And you got this three-team race going on with the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Sixers. Matter of fact, I, I just, I, I'll ask you that question later, but first and foremost, do you believe that the Sixers are a legitimate contender? I asked you last week if Sacramento was. This week, I got to ask you is Philly one, because what I'm seeing right now, man, it's hard not to buy in a little bit because they peaking at the right time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, they're definitely peaking at the right time. You know, it, it, it feels good. It does feel good, <laughs> but this we also know that even no matter what state Philly's in, they do eventually derail and collapse. So, do I think they're a legitimate contender? I don't know about legit. They're a contender, but legitimate. That means I'm gonna bet all my money that they're gonna do me right with my bet. <laughs> I can't bet on the Sixers right now. Um. And it's a lot of it really is just based on the history. Um, the fact that Philadelphia, as great as they always have been and have been very great for a long time, they always find a way to mess themselves up. They shoot themselves in the foot and things just begin to derail. I believe in Doc Rivers as the head coach throughout the regular season. Don't know about the playoffs as much. Um, I got to see James Harden perform at a high level again in the playoffs. Um, past couple of seasons, He's been kind of huh, hit or miss. Um, I got to see, you know, who else is going to step up alongside, hopefully, a James Harden, but also Joel Embiid, because Tobias Harris has been MIA in the playoffs, especially last year. Um, I want to see how Tyrese Maxey is a rookie. This is going to be his first chance to get playoff experience. I want to see how he balls out. You know, so it's, it's just a lot of variables and factors that I need to um, – you know, really pay attention to, to see if the Philadelphia Sixers aren't the Philadelphia 76ers of old. Um, right now, what we see on the court and what I see on the court shows that they are different, shows this is the better team and a much more improved team from last year, at this, especially around this time. But I need, I need more, I need a little bit more proof. I need a little bit more uh, proof in the court to see what the, what the Philadelphia 76ers, 76ers are really made of because too many times, they you ring the bell and 
no sometimes they answer sometimes they don't i need i need more consistency with them answering the answering the bell i think that's the question everyone has with philly it's been so many years where we've been waiting for them to take that next step they're the only team in the top three of the east that has yet to see an eastern conference finals yet philadelphia has made it to the playoffs for the last several years in a row. So now we're, we're waiting to see it. I do believe in Philadelphia being a contender. Do I have my concerns? Absolutely. But when I look at the way that Joel Embiid is playing right now and the way that the media has responded to him, and now all of a sudden, as you're starting to see, the narrative has changed. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see his playoff run this year. My only concern with Philly when it gets to playoff time is how will they find a way to manage in a given game should Joel Embiid get in foul trouble? Mm -hmm. Because when he leaves the floor, even with James Harden being aggressive, James Harden getting to the rim, even though his burst isn't the same as it once was or his first step isn't. As you can tell that those years where he was leading the league and scoring has kind of knocked the tread off his tire somewhat, albeit he's still able to create and set up so many scoring opportunities for others as the league leader and assist. But he's going to have to be aggressive at times and still find a way to get to his sweet spots on the floor when he can't necessarily beat guys off the dribble in the manner in which he once did this prime, albeit that he's in his second prime of his career now as a vet in the league. When I, when I, when I look at Philly, I mean, I, I trust Tyrese Maxey. I do. Tobias Harris is the biggest wild card. They also going to have to get some help from guys like Paul Reed as well. Mm-hmm. Former DePaul standout. They're going to need him to be big in some of those minutes when Joel rests, because those are going to be the minutes where teams are going to seek to, going runs and you know it's going to happen but the question that i want to ask you is you got a three-team race right now Mm -hmm. for the top seed in the eastern conference between the bucks celtics and the sixers who do you believe has the most significant edge in the race for the top seed in the east with all of these teams having so many important games coming up down the home stretch of the year Milwaukee, I'm going with the Bucks. Um, they're just a more complete team to me. Yes, we talked about Boston and what they all have from a from a lineup perspective. You know, you can't question the leadership of what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have done all season long. Marcus Smart, and those guys, uh, Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. You know, you can't you can't help but you know respect what they've done so far this season in response to them going to the finals last year and losing to the Golden State Warriors. But Milwaukee has an unstoppable force in Giannis who is playing a hell of a year. You have Drew Holiday playing the best year of his career. And even though he's had injury problems, when Chris Middleton stays healthy and is on the floor, that's another layer of offense and defense that just takes the Bucks to another level. 
on top of Brooke Lopez having a career year as well. And the addition of Jay Crowder balances them off. And he's been playing well for them as a recent, you know, as he's starting to get his win back from not playing all season long. So I just think the Bucks have the more reinforcements that fit chemistry-wise right now compared to a team like Boston, who they have the talent, but they do find their ways with some inconsistencies at times. Um, and they do seem like sometimes they hit a roadblock, especially when their offense gets stagnant. Um, Milwaukee just always figures it out. When they have Giannis on the floor, when they have Drew Holiday running the show at point guard, you know, and he steps up in big time moments, when, especially when Chris Middleton is not able to, it seems like the Bucs just always figure it out, no matter, who, no matter what happens on the floor. And that's something you're going to need come playoff time to go deep, make deep playoff runs in the ways that we know both, at least two out of these three teams we know have done before. But I think Milwaukee Bucks are the most poised team right now to get it done. Well, I mean, to me, it's theirs to lose. They already in first, and they rolling. You know, they've won seven out their last ten. And they're starting to gel as a complete and healthy unit, which has been a a long development for them. And I think that's due in large part to Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. who missed the first 20 games of the year after he experienced some issues with his off-season wrist surgery. Then he dealt with some knee issues not too long after that. And despite playing in just over 30 games, I believe, at this point, he was the missing piece last year who likely cost them a shot at winning back-to-back championships. And when you think about the importance that he has to that roster as a shooter and a defender. You understand why they were seeking to rest him after getting out to such a hot start and they didn't really want to take a chance with him. But ever since he's gotten back into the starting lineup, he's starting to really look good. Mm -hmm. I still have questions about him defensively after seeing some things up close in person that alarmed me, such as him getting beat off the dribble and whatnot in ways that I wasn't characteristic of seeing him get beat, especially when at one point in time I would say he was a top five wing defender in the league. But you saw what he did against Sacramento last week, putting up 31 points. That was his first 30-point game in over a year. And you add Brooke Lopez play on the defensive end in spite of not being the best defensive player on the team, who, in my opinion, that's Giannis, mm-hmm. you could easily make a case for Brooke Lopez being in the defensive player of the year conversation. Do I think he should win the award? No, but I damn sure believe that he should be within the top three or five based on the way that he's playing. And I believe he'll finish that way in the voting due to Milwaukee's record. And then Bobby Portis, what he's been able to do yeah. is a six-man off the bench stretching the floor, knocking down open shots and providing a toughness and a girth inside to spot Lopez on nights when he may be banged up or they may need to rest him. They have depth from top to bottom. So it's theirs to lose. I do agree that they have the edge in, in regards to getting the top seed. 
But Philadelphia, they kind of like Omar and the wire to me. They coming. <laughs> they coming. They really coming. And, and, and the one thing I like about this team is that it don't matter what game it is they've been in this season, down 19, gets Milwaukee on the road when they had a season best 16 game winning streak. No problem. Down 20 plus on the road to Sacramento. No problem. Tyrese Maxey, I got it. On a night with Joel and B and James Harden not even playing. So they have some guys that have can step up for them. And one guy that I ain't even brought up for the Sixers, George Niang, who's been huge, is a, is a floor spacer and knocking down big shots late in games. I still have questions, but if there's any team that I believe can catch them, it's Philadelphia. Boston right now, they seem like they stuck in the mud a little bit. They started out real hot, and it looked like that number one seed was going to be theirs to lose, and Milwaukee just reached up in the sky and got it from them. Giannis Antetokounmpo, though, I have to say this. He should be on the MVP radar for fans and voters. As much as I love Joel Embiid, and if I had a vote, I would give it to him. Mm-hmm. The way that Giannis has played, what he did the other night, being able to get a triple-double and not miss a shot from the field. Right. Come on now. <laughs> no, nah, you're right, bro. You're right, man. It's I, 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 Let's put it this way. You have more faith in Philly than I do. I still think they're going to be a contender. Don't get it twisted. I think they're, I think they're a contender. But when you ask about legit, as in like guaranteed, mine is like guaranteed with, Chuck, with Charles Barkley saying it. It ain't really guaranteed. Like that's my <laughs> that's my that's what's that's what I think about think of Philly right now because they I, they just too inconsistent for me when you talk about playoff hopes. I get it. I, and 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 you know that's why I'll put it this way: if Philadelphia goes far, I gotta owe you something. We gotta do dinner or something because I don't trust in Philly that much to go as far as you think they could potentially go. I'm not saying I trust them. What I'm saying is I see it, but I, I, I put it to you like this. This is, this is me. If I, was, if I was a gambler and I was trying to cash in on odds or whatever, and I wanted to like really hit and I had some money to burn, yeah, I put it on the sixes. If I wanted guaranteed money, that's different. So when I say my faith is high, I'm not going to say it's extremely high. I just like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm seeing. The edge is with Milwaukee. And I understand it. Milwaukee's the proven team. They've been yep. there. They've won. Philly has to show it. I yep. get it. I'm not saying any, I'm not saying that they've proven. I'd be lying if I said that Boston is more proven than Philadelphia. Even in spite of not winning a championship, they've been to consecutive Eastern Conference Finals runs. They got to the NBA Finals. But it's something about a man being counted out that you have to be on guard for. And Joel and B, like I said in January on the show that we did, he's the underground king that ain't been crowned. Yeah. And yeah. when you look at the way that he's playing, you can't tell me that he's not gunning for that MVP. And he's played it as humble as you would want to start to do it and continue to ball out nonetheless. I feel like it's in his favor now. 
with all the hoopla and the conversations that we've all had on it, from the national media to independent media, wherever, like you, you, you see the bullying has worked. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I have to consider that when I when I look at things, man, and, and what they doing, it's been fun to watch. But we talked about it a couple weeks ago, like with Doc. You never know. So, like sure. I said, if I was a gambler looking to cash in, yeah, I'd buy some Sixers stock. If I'm looking for a guaranteed bet, no, I'm not taking that. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. But I, I want to get into or segue away from the conversation about the Philadelphia 76ers and the top three teams in the Eastern Conference with the Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks into an all-star guard out of Memphis and John Morant, who recently had an exclusive interview with Jalen Rose talking about things that he went through um, in therapy as well as how he seeks to move forward from his suspension, which has now officially come to a close as according to Sham Sarania of The Athletic, he is expected to return sometime within the near future, possibly by the end of this week, to action. Man, um, I do believe he was honest. I believe that he was sincere. And I know why ESPN made Jalen Ro- Jalen Rose do the interviews to anybody else. Because Jalen Rose was the one that was the most outspoken saying, you ain't been in his shoes like I have. So ESPN said, let's say face real quick. We can't put somebody like Stephen A on there. <laughs> He's like, let's say face real quick. All right, Jalen, let's have you do this. Um, so I think that was a wise move to do that. And I do think John Rent was sincere in what he was speaking about. And, you know, and I, I do hope that the therapy did help. But my question is, this is I think he came back real short, real quick considering you know if he was going to a therapy clinic you know counseling program most counseling takes more than just a week or two <laughs> you know what i mean I to really get to get into what the real problems are and to actually resolve those problems so i would hope that because he came back so quick and the league, of course, allowed him to come back so quick because he's such a big component to their revenue and their big name brands within the league. I hope that he continues the therapy while throughout the season, while they finish out, you know, this season and it carries into the offseason. I hope it's a continuous session because the last thing you want is for someone to relapse and relapsed heavily out of the issues they were dealing with because they were too quick to come back to be able to do something that they love to do. Yes, we will, We all want John Moran on the court, but we should be worried about John Moran and his health as a person off the court more more than him being on the court. And because of that, because of that, I would have been happy if he took the rest of the season off to say, you know what, I got to get my life together. And knowing that it takes time to do so. I just think it was just too quick for him to come back based off of that specifically. 
Talent-wise, of course, bring them back as soon as possible. We need them. But when you're talking about bettering yourself in the way that he supposedly needed to to better himself, when you talk about how he was struggling so much with anxiety and depression and, you know, you know, talk about he's doing so many stupid things that even at claiming that the gun, the gun that he put on his Instagram life wasn't even his. Like, it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, that's part of that mental health that you're going to need to consistently carry yourself on doing with therapy and really fixing and fixing those issues. If you can't do it off the court consecutively, you need to do it continuously throughout the season. And, you know, when you talk about mental health with guys like DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love and those guys, how they talk about how even throughout the seasons, they go to therapy sessions. They have to go, they go through, they keep a therapist on dial so that way they can make sure they're always intact and ready to go. I hope John Moran's following that same example um, because we love to have him on the court, but he is better off. We need him better off as a person, not just a player. And his family needs him better off as a person, not just a player or the main breadwinner provider, which he admitted is a very stressful thing that he's still dealing with. So I just wish the best for him. I thought the interview was cool and that he was sincere, but too early. I think it was a little too early for me. I I, I can understand why you believe it's too early. But at the same time, the points that you brought up make it make sense for me even if it's the unfortunate reality of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, as you say it, the importance of the revenue. Yeah. The fact that he represents so much to the bottom line of not only just the NBA, but the Memphis Grizzlies and the league as a whole. You know, when you can consider the body of stars in this league, it's very few stars. And it's not too many that's is hot of a box office figure is John ja Moran is. It's a reason why he has that max deal. It's a reason why he has his signature shoe line with Nike that he just earned as we saw him unveil this past Christmas day out in the Bay Area against the Warriors. So we 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 know how these things work and go. I was glad that Jalen Rose of all people conducted the interview and I tell you why He's a guy who, for many years, when he played, while I loved him and, and adored him as a fan, and also as a media figure, he's a guy that has oftentimes been misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he had enough knowledge of the situation, having experienced some things that he's experienced in his life prior to even reaching the NBA to where he can speak with Ja on some level, be it on camera or even behind the scenes. And I would have loved to figure out what that behind the scenes conversation looked like more than the interview, which in my opinion was sort of a PR ploy Yeah, for both sides. But one that if you're an image consultant or PR rep, I guess you could say it was needed. I hope that he's learned from his mishaps and the way in which he's gone about things you go to a strip club we know that's not the case i um when i when i think about it man i i just i just see a guy who basically said hey i'm human 
Mm-hmm. And I can respect that. I'm human. And I think one thing that the viewers at large need to consider is that he's 23 years old. And it was a book I used to read as a kid. I'm sure most of us did when we was in grammar school, To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> where a character in there says, you can't understand a man until you climb in his skin and walk in it. And that was yep. Atticus. Yep. Some of us need to do that. You know, as someone who isn't a millionaire myself, but I'm used to people coming to me to fix certain situations, I can kind of relate. Yeah. I can kind of relate. And I can only imagine what it's like when you got millions attached to your name. Mm-hmm. And everybody asking you, hey, let me hold something. Let me do this for you. Let me do that. Let's go to this party. Let's go kick it. So just put yourself in his shoes and, and, and think about what he's dealing with and how you dealt with it at that age if you're older or if you're his current age. So I, my thoughts on it is, is that he's human. Yeah, he's coming back a little too quickly, but it's my hope for him that he continues with his therapy on the road throughout the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Because as you and I know, you have therapists that travel with these teams. I don't think his journey is done. I think it's just beginning. But I appreciate him being open enough to discuss his issues publicly on camera to a degree. Because everything ain't going to be documented, and it shouldn't be. But for what he was willing to share, I appreciate that. And I hope that people can move forward from it and allow him to grow because like Jalen said in the interview this ain't gonna define you and I don't believe that this will be the final moment that comes to define John Morant's career I agree with that um I don't think it will either but the problem is media media figures will make it that way and that can and that can and that can um hurt the narrative that he's changing right so as you know as brothers that's just the reality of what we deal with on a daily basis you know and i would hate that he's going to most likely get some sort of form of that because you can't escape it it's just embedded in this world and the society but the fact that he got he was able to take care of this at such a young stage and early part of his career it it definitely allows him to prolong his career in a way that you know if he didn't care too much would have been cut short that i think that wisdom is gonna is gonna take him a long way at coming out of this situation and the fact that he does have that support from people in the league and outside of the league you know it's gonna make things that much better but i don't want to be naive and say that people are still going to try to hold that same narrative to him, even though the person's changed, because that's just how people are. There's some people that will do that. Oh, for know, sure. Regardless, especially we're talking about two people that don't look like us to reporting on report on the game. That's just the facts. Um, but he's fine. I think he's going to be fine. And I'd like the fact that he mentioned how he needed to be a better person in the interview for his daughter. Yeah. I thought I about thought- that. 
Cause you know, I know I, you, yeah, you've been talking about that a lot. Yeah. And, and that made me happy. Cause that made me feel like, okay, he's seeing himself now as more than just a dad. He's a father. He's a, he's the, he's the leader of his family and his, and of his baby girl. So, um, the fact that he understands that and recognizes that, that warmed my soul. That that definitely warmed my heart. And in a lot of ways showed me, that, okay, he gets it. You know, he's not a naive kid. He, he, he gets and understands the responsibilities that are given to him as a man. He's just learning how to better handle it moving forward. And that's something that should definitely and always will be acknowledged. Yeah, that, that's well said for sure. But I want to move on. We talked about a couple of teams in the Eastern Conference. Want to talk about a couple of teams in the Western Conference. Play the game of rapid fire last week where we asked, or actually where I made a series of statements rather, and asked Josh and Steve whether or not they viewed these statements to be true or false. We're going to do that again in this segment of rapid fire, true or false part two, starting with the Denver Nuggets, who are sitting atop of the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets are a legitimate contender. Is that true, Josh? Or is that false? Um, I'm giving them the Philly treatment. Um, because they're great in a regular season. You know, they have all the reinforcements in the world to really get this done. But history tells us they always leave it short. And not just leaving it, and, and even though they did at least reach a Western Conference Finals before, recently, past couple of years, they failed to get to, they failed to get past the second round, and including last year, they got bumped out of the first. So, yes, this year could be different. You got a healthy Jamal Murray. You have a healthy Michael Porter Jr. You have better reinforcements now with Katavis Caldwell-Pope, Bruce Brown. You got a thriving and improved Aaron Gordon. And you actually have big man help in Thomas Bryant. Landon Scrub. You got the pace, you got, you got pieces that can work. But are you going to break in serious moments in the playoffs? in ways that they have done previously before. Just they they got to prove that to me. I can't do that. That to me, they only go as far as Jamal Murray will take them. And the reason why I say Jamal Murray is cuz we know what Joker's going to do. Joker's going to do his thing. But Jamal Murray's the second person. He's the second leader on this team. He's the go-to person when Jokic ain't got it or Jokic is actually looking for him to score. He's the one that's going to take the team to the next level. He's the difference maker that makes Denver so dynamic. Even going, and he already, you already know he had his coming out party per se when he and Donovan Mitchell went at it in the bubble. That was one of the most iconic series, first round series you could ever have. And Jamal Murray outperformed Donovan Mitchell in that series, showing that he can do this. All right, well, the next year you get hurt and you're out for over a year and some change. You finally get a chance to get back on the court and now and experience the playoffs again. I want to see you go to work. I want to see how far you can take this team because they're not going to, they're only going as far as he is. So knowing that, and we've seen what that looks like before, I can't say 
that they're legitimate contenders. They could contend. I think they're contenders. But when you talk about that legitimate, to me, that equates to guaranteed. They are right now my Charles Barkley guarantee for the Western Conference. They just not, they have a chance, but I don't think they're going to go far in the first round, especially if they play a team where matchup wise does not fit. Denver, they got to show me. I understand that Denver's been to a conference finals. I give Jokic a ton of respect for that, but when they did it, it was in the bubble. And I'm not saying, I'm not one of those people that think, well, just because it happened in the bubble, it don't matter. But I do think it warrants some consideration. You talk about Denver going as far as Jamal Murray takes them. To me, the biggest X factor has always been Michael Porter Jr., mm. another guy who they were without last year in the playoffs. And even though he hasn't been as efficient shooting the ball as he was a couple years ago, he's had several big games over the last week where he's put up 20 or more in three out of his last five outings. And his post-break effective field goal percentage, it ranks fourth behind Jokic among 134 players with at least 100 post-break field goal attempts. His defensive improvement has been key as well to their success. But his offense is going to be very crucial because you're talking about a guy who is six foot nine. He don't really need a lot of dribbles to get to his sweet spots in mm -hmm. isolation and can score with the best of them when he's really on. And that takes so much pressure off of Jokic and Murray to have to carry the bulk load of Denver's offensive attack. But the question has always been the defense. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys that was a key component of their team in the conference finals was Jeremy Grant, mm -hmm. who they no longer have. So I'm wondering who's going to be the next guy to step up. Aaron Gordon has done so very well, but now he has a target on his back. And for so many years, what was Aaron Gordon playing in Orlando? Now that you're on a team that's one of the top, if not the best team in the West record-wise, everything you do now becomes all the more exposed. So we really going to get a chance to see how he fares in the playoffs under the bright lights. We got, we've gotten previews here and there, but now everybody's watching them. Because for years, we've been told Jokic is a top five center of all time from some people. We know that he's an analytical GOAT if you go by numbers and statistics. But we wipe all that clean when it's playoff time. And it's time to see Nikola Jokic make a run in the playoffs. And when I say run, I'm not just talking about conference finals because we've seen him do that. He got to get there. And I, to me, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid have the, the most pressure on themselves going into the playoffs to do whatever it takes to vie for a championship. They've done everything in the game there is to be done individually. Now it's about taking your team to the top, but I, I'm not buying them as a legitimate contender. I don't think teams fear Denver. I really don't. Matter of fact, I know they don't. 
Because just covering teams in the West just a couple years ago and looking at the way in which they attack Jokic defensively, like when it, you know how it is in the playoffs and the game is predicated in the half course, you can't hide. Mm-mm. So he's going to get attacked and he's going to have to learn how to hold his own or he's going to have to duck the fade, but he really can't. He can't. So when, when the way I look at it, are they a legitimate contender? I would say no. I, I would say absolutely no. I think that's false. I think it's completely false. But they have talent. We know that they have an elite-level offense. KCP, Bruce Brown, elite-level defenders, high-energy guys that went on contending teams, they bring out the best in the others around them. But I got to see it. I got to see it. They're not that they're not a team that just puts complete fear in my heart and say, I don't want to play them in a best of seven series. And I don't think I'm alone in feeling that way. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to move on to the next statement in our true or false segment in our NBA rapid fire conversation, the Oklahoma city thunder will finish the regular season as participants in the play-in tournament out in the West. Are you saying true to that? Or are you saying false? Ooh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm saying false. I think they can get into the playoffs without playing in the playing term at this present moment. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at who's ahead of them, Golden State, as great as they are, terrible on the road. Still haven't figured that out. Yeah. Dallas, still haven't figured out how to win consecutive consistently with Kyrie Irving. Still figuring that out. The Clippers. Oh, as much as I love the Clippers. They're struggling, too. They can't win games like they should either. If Oklahoma City continues to push themselves and go on a win streak with either of those teams losing, as tight as that, as that race is right now between the 6th, 7th seed all the way down to the bottom half, I think Oklahoma City can sneak up in there. Now, granted, all these other variables have to take place. But I like what we've seen all season long between Jalen Williams, Josh Giddy, and SGA. If those three continue to lead their teams, their team into the games and put themselves in competitive situations every night with a chance to win. I think it's possible. I do think it's possible that they have a chance to bypass Golden State, Dallas into a potential six seed. So that way they don't have to play in the playing tournament especially if those two teams, Dallas and Golden State, continue to slack in the ways that they've been slacking as of late. When I look at Oklahoma City, this, this is a tough one because I'm, look, I'm looking at the standings. And, and I believe that OKC, as of as this recording, is currently – they are – Eighth in the West, I want to say. Yeah. As I'm pulling, as, as I'm pulling up the eighth in the West, so that will put them in the plan. They, 
they got two big games coming up against the LA Clippers mm-hmm. this week. And if they can win both of those games, they got a shot to get into the playoffs without even needing to play in. I'm going to say true for now that they are a play-in team. I think we'll be seeing them. I don't think their regular season is coming to an end anytime soon. And I and they could be a playoff team. They could play their way in and still make the playoff. I, I, I believe that. I like what Mark Dagnall has done with this group. Jalen Williams has really come on in the race for rookie of the year. I still believe Paulo Bancaro is, is the winner of it, but with the year that he's had, man, and, and his ability to play on the ball or off the ball, besides those two guys in SGA and Josh Giddy, mm-hmm. like they, they got a hell of a core. They got a hell of a core, but – and their defense is second to none. Usman Dang is finally starting to come along. You got thing one with Jalen Williams, but you got another Jalen Williams who – has been holding his own at the five spot. Only difference is the name is spelled differently. But I, I, I like I like OKC enough to where I'm going to say that that statement is true. I believe that they're a play-in team and that they will finish the regular season as participants in the play-in tournament. But if they can beat L.A. on the road twice, NBA better be on alert. They better be on alert. And the Western Conference better be on alert because the Thunder have won seven out of their last 10 games and they struggle on the road. But if they can win those two on the road against LA, that would be big. And they can, I have faith in them that they can because Clippers are even struggling to win at home. The Clippers have struggled to win at home. And if anything, you got one player on that team that knows what's like to play under the bright lights in LA. And that's SGA. If, if he, you have that lead in your front, going into all uh, going against the Clippers and those back to those back to back games, man, I I will trust that compared to what the Clippers are putting out on the court right now. Yeah, the, the the Clippers have had their fair share of struggles for sure, and then with Kawhi resting on so many of these back to backs that's where they really struggled as well. And then they got to get guys like Norm Powell, who's been a key part in their success this season, back healthy. You had Ty Lue miss a game due to having a non-COVID illness on the sidelines. I like LA, but yeah, they that, those games, those games have major implications on a West that is so tight after you get past the top three seeds. And on down, it's very tight. But my last statement as part of our rapid fire, true or false segment, is in regards to the team down in the Big East, the New Orleans Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans will find themselves at home in the next few weeks following the conclusion of the regular season. True or false? I know this is a tough question to answer Hmm. because I know. This was a team that we had so many high expectations for entering the season. You predicted that Zion Williamson was going to win the MVP. And for a minute, it was looking real pretty. It was looking beautiful. (laughs) Top two seed beautiful. But now, 
with the way that this West is jumbled up, you have to consider it. Oh man, you said it. You said you you couldn't have said it any better, man. I was I was riding on a high. I think a lot of people were, bro. <laughs> I was riding on a high. My prediction was very bold. People didn't want to believe it, but it was looking real nice for the first half of that season. And then Zion just had to get hurt. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's true. They going home again. <laughs> they're going home again man and i just think because 12 games left in the season no side of zion williamson returning anytime soon the team has struggled mightily to win games especially close games and there's just no hope in sight when you look at this you know this playing situation I mean, the Lakers are doing great without LeBron right now. Um, Minnesota is slowly but surely trying to get their act together. I don't know how that's going to work considering that, you know, Cat has suffered a major uh, setback, so he may not be capable to come back throughout the regular season. Plus, Anthony Edwards has to stay, he- has to stay healthy because that, you know, he's been hurt. You know, and Golden, I, I really think Oklahoma City is going to uh, continue to rise the ladder if Golden State and Dallas slip. So, with them being sitting at 12, and you just got to get to the 10th spot, I think Minnesota is going to occupy that 10th spot eventually. And I wouldn't be surprised if things continue to derail in, the, in, a certain, in certain ways that Utah might even get a chance to hit that 10th spot sitting at 11th right now. So, yeah, uh, the Big Easy is going to be chilling real easy at the crib. Uh, come the end of this season, man. I, I wanted, you know, Zion to get to the playoffs. I want to see Jim McCollum to get to the playoffs. I want to see how he leads as the front runner of this team. And we all know what B.I. can do when the moments are shine bright. So, but it's not a reality. I, I don't think it's going to be a rea- reality this year. This is going to be real chill. Zion might get, you know, gain some more weight at the crib if he eating eat more of that food because he's going to have a long offseason ahead of him. Man, this this was a team. I didn't know if they could stay in the top two, but I definitely believe that they could have stayed in the top five if Zion stayed healthy, man. Yeah, I really do. And when you said Zion was gonna win the MVP, I I was willing to go on FanDuel and bet it. I, I that that was a bet I would have been willing to take because if if he had stayed healthy, I think he'd have been in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people could have cashed in if he'd have won. A lot of people. And I that was a bet that I really wanted to take. But due to health reasons, I held back. I won't <laughs> lie. I held back. And it looked like I made a smart investment. But I do believe if that man can never stay healthy, he will be a future MVP candidate someday, even if he just played 60 to 65 games. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans can't hold on to big leads for some odd reason late in games. I think part of that has to do with the fact that they don't take care of the ball that well. When you don't take care of the ball and you can't get nothing going offensively late down the stretch when you need to and everything is solely dependent on the play of Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum, that's where the loss of of Zion 
looms so significant. Mm-hmm. It looms so significant. And like I'm looking at the numbers right now. Ingram and McCollum have combined to shoot 18 for 33 in clutch situations. Yet they still have lost 10 out of their last 13 games that were within five points or less in the last five minutes of regulation. One of those games coming at the hands of the Houston Rockets, a team that has come along as of late been upset some top dogs, might I add. Mm-hmm. But this is a team that's projected to be within the high your part of the lottery. You can't lose games against teams that's under 500 when you're trying to make your way back into the play-in picture, let alone the playoff picture. You just you, you can't do it. And what makes it even more concerning is that several out of the Pelicans' last nine games are going to come against teams that are currently at or above 500. Mm. And this week they have San Antonio, Charlotte, and the Clippers. You got to win two or three, and you really need all three. The margin of error is just so small. That even if Zion were to come back in time, I just don't know if it's enough. So when I look at it, I'm going to say true. It would be unfortunate because they, last year when they started as poorly as they did and bounced back to getting a play in, they wanted to feel good stories of the league. Mm -hmm. And then to challenge Phoenix the way that they did and nearly taking them to seven without Zion, he was like, man, the future's bright. Just wait till Zion get back. Everybody in America, just wait till Zion get back. Zion comes back. He doing the damn thing. Only to get hurt again. It's, it just goes to show you how important Zion is to New Orleans' long-term success. And I think they're going to have a lot of questions they got to ask themselves this offseason. I love Willie Green. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a guy that's tried to motivate these guys. But they got to ask themselves, is he the right guy? Is it? it New Orleans sports talk radio this summer is going to be very hot. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very hot. I know the Saints just got Derek Carr and stuff like that, but Pelicans talk is going to be at an all-time high, and rightfully so, if this team does not make the playoffs and build off of last year's success. Something that this team has struggled doing throughout their existence in New Orleans. They've had some good teams, feel good stories here and there, you know, Boogie and AD, CP3 yeah. and 08, but they never was able to build long-term success off that. It would be crushing if they couldn't do that with Zion Williamson. Yeah, man. It, it, it actually might be worse if they didn't have Zion because... Oh, for sure. It's going to be worse, especially since, you know, there really was a lot of hope with AD and Boogie because no one really thought that two big lineup was going to work. But they made that thing work, and it was thriving off of it. And then Boogie just had to get hurt with that Achilles. Exactly. So it's definitely um, it's it's a it's definitely a sad story right now, looking like for the Pelicans, comparing last year to this year. But they can have a chance to redeem themselves next year if they can if if Zion finds a way somehow 
to stay healthy? No question. That's always going to be the million dollar, you know, question that lingers over New Orleans when it comes to the Pelicans and their state of their franchise. But I want to talk about the top NBA games to watch in week 23 of the season. I know all eyes going to be on March Madness, but I got a pair of games for you the night before March Madness that I think you should have your eyes on. Golden State at Dallas on Wednesday, March the 22nd, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. And then the Sixers coming into Chicago to take on the Bulls at 7 o'clock on NBC Sports Chicago. Can the Bulls, a team that's fighting for a playing spot, seek to find a way to overcome a team in Philly that's playing for a top seed in the Eastern Conference, it remains to be seen. Well, it's very interesting that you're speaking about the Bulls and the 76ers because they're playing right now during yeah, our Yeah, it's recording in Philly. They got and, a home-to-home uh, set. Yep, and um, it looks like the Bulls are going to pull this one off in double overtime. Um, so they uh, finally got them. <laughs> it's like they finally got them. They're up by four right now with six seconds left. So Wow. It looks like they're going to you know, finally get this one, you know, get this one done in double overtime. So we'll ins- so that's going to be a game to watch. I know I'm, I'm going to be in the building for that game. Um, and I think that's going to be that's going to be a very interesting game to watch, considering, you know, Joel Embiid is playing this well and they, and they lost this game in, in the clutch moments like this. He's going to become a best seeker for revenge. And we know the Bulls struggle guarding him like it's he, 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 he looks at us like it's chopped liver. So. <laughs> That's going to be, you know, an interesting game to, to watch out for sure. I'm definitely going to be there in person, though. So, you know, audience be on, be, audience be on the lookout for that. But I got two games for you, too, man. I got two games as well, both happening on the same day. First game, you got to go with the Milwaukee Bucks against the Denver Nuggets on Saturday. I got to watch uh, the Milwaukee Bucks versus, versus the Denver Nuggets. Jokic against Giannis. There's always a matchup. You got to see MVP candidates going at each other. I want to see how those guys play. And I want to see the guard play between Jamal Murray and Drew Holiday. I think that's going to be a very impressive point guard matchup that I'm definitely going to be paying attention to see. But while that game is going on on NBA TV, why not carry over to uh, to lead pass an hour later and watch the 76ers against the Phoenix Suns? I mean, you got Joel Embiid going up against DeAndre Aiden in the big man department. You got James Harden going against Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the point in the guard department, you know, so why not see what that looks like? Um, it's definitely going to be no short of talent. We talk about going, going back and forth between both games. So keep yourself intrigued. You got two, you got two uh, channels between NBA TV and NBA league pass to, uh, to watch and stream these games. Have yourself some fun, especially if there's no March Madness going on that day. Oh, well, it'll be some games on that day. It'll be a ton of games on. But if it, if it ain't going up to part in the Elite Eight, that's definitely a game that I have my own, especially Philadelphia and Phoenix, because that's a game that could be a finals preview you don't know. And hopefully DeAndre Ayton is healthy, because that'd be a nice battle of bigs. And then Chris Paul, James Harden, two guys that were former running mates in Houston, now, you know, contrasting size. And then you got Doc Rivers, a guy that's coaching both. Mm-hmm. Monty Williams. On the other side, you know, who 
who has some some history with those guys in Philly a little bit. So, and I know Monty and Doc are good friends. So you know that 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 would be an interesting matchup for sure to watch. And you can't go wrong with the last two MVPs in the league in Milwaukee going up against Denver. You damn sure can't go wrong with that one. So I like both of those matchups. But I want to thank everybody who took out the time to listen to yet another installment of Open Run presented to you by War Media. Please make sure to follow all of our social media handles at War Media. You can check out our shows available on the YouTube channel, as well as our man Saul Rodriguez and the Ed Bat podcast with Miles Porter. They've been doing some great things. The spring training is almost coming to a close for you baseball fans out there. We'll open the day on the horizon. Bears football coverage. Saul's been having you covered on that as well. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man Josh Hicks. So long, everybody.